Indiana lawmakers coming back in session next month to act on the governor's plan for inflation relief. But will they also act on the issue of abortion after a landmark Supreme Court ruling? We'll have the latest from the nation's capital in a busy week that also saw a bipartisan breakthrough on gun reform. All that plus the January 6th hearings and Indiana's Secretary of State ousted by fellow Republicans. We'll talk with the GOP's nominee for Secretary of State Diego Morales and Democratic candidate Destiny Scott Wells right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Governor Holcomb calls state lawmakers into a special session. They'll be back at the State House after the 4th of July to deal with the governor's proposal to send more money back to Indiana taxpayers. But what will lawmakers decide to do on abortion during that same special session, with the Supreme Court making a major ruling that could impact abortion rights nationwide? Two big topics that state lawmakers could have on their plates here in just a matter of weeks. Kristen Eskow starts our coverage today with a closer look. Following the Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade, Indiana lawmakers could pass new limits on abortion as soon as next month. Earlier this year, 100 Republican lawmakers, or two-thirds of the Indiana legislature, asked Governor Eric Holcomb for a special session on abortion if the court allows states to choose their own abortion laws. State House Democrats say they're concerned about the potential consequences for some pregnant women. They are more likely to, to go into poverty or stay in poverty. Their children will more likely be in poverty. In the months leading up to Friday's ruling, Governor Eric Holcomb and Republican legislative leaders have declined to say whether they want to pass a total abortion ban or allow certain exceptions, such as cases of rape, incest, or risk to the mother's life. They did not provide interviews Friday, nor specifics about their plans. Holcomb said in a statement in part, quote, I have been clear in stating I am pro-life. We have an opportunity to make progress in protecting the sanctity of life, and that's exactly what we will do. House Speaker Todd Houston echoed those thoughts in his statement, adding, quote, While it's too early to speculate on what form legislation may take, I strongly believe we'll couple any action with expanding resources and services to support pregnant mothers and care for their babies before and after birth. Democrats argue there are many services and policies lawmakers need to consider to support mothers. We need to make sure that we are talking about parental leave. We need to make sure that we have in place Medicaid coverage. Republicans in Indiana's congressional delegation say they're glad to see decisions on abortion law left to the states. You're going to see the state legislatures and governors across the country make different decisions based on uh, the, the uh, people that they represent. And I think that's where it should have been left in the first place. Friday's ruling also brought immediate reaction from advocates on both sides of this debate. Eric Graves continues our team coverage with a look at what they're saying and how they're reacting to this landmark ruling. Right to Life supporters gathered here on the steps of the Boone County Courthouse Friday to celebrate the court's decision, saying it is 50 years coming. On the other side of things, one group we talked to say this decision puts the health of women at risk. There are some who see the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade as an opportunity. It's returning this issue squarely back into the hands of the people. While others say it's brought unease about the future. The government is not protecting our health care and our rights and our, and our lives. Women for Change is a Hoosier group that says it's focused on making positive change for women. CEO Rima Shahid says the Supreme Court decision was extremely 
disheartening. It's frustrating. It tells us that you are putting our health and our safety at risk. On the other side, Right to Life President Mike Fitcher sees the decision as a huge victory. It really uh, gives the potential for saving millions of innocent lives. Fitcher also adds that there needs to be renewed focus on what Indiana can do to help pregnant mothers and young families. And we shouldn't look at this as just what can government do to help pregnant mothers. This is really a call for Hoosiers to step up across the board. He already has eyes on the July 6th special session at the State House, and if that is when Indiana lawmakers will make any changes. Every state can decide uh, so the people's voices can be heard, and that's exactly what uh, we expect to see happen at the State House. If Indiana were to outlaw abortions, Shahid insists that will not stop abortions, only make them more dangerous. And we know that people are still going to have abortions, and more people are going to die. Reporting in Boone County, I'm Eric Graves. The Supreme Court making a big ruling on guns this past week and also in the coming days, a controversial new state law dealing with guns gets rid of the requirement for most gun permits. It takes effect Friday on the first of the month. We spoke with local prosecutors about the impact that could have here in Indiana on current and future criminal cases. We're prosecuting them as is uh, because at the time that they committed the offense, it was illegal but they've also committed other crimes with it. We're going to continue to move forward with prosecutions of these offenses. Uh, certainly, we think uh, it's an important message to send to the community about the responsible gun ownership. The Marion County prosecutor admits he's been alerted that a number of defense attorneys do plan to challenge those cases moving forward after that law takes effect. Meantime, in Washington, the Senate moving forward this week with a bipartisan gun bill after the deadly shooting in Texas. Washington correspondent Anna Wernicke has the latest. It is a bipartisan compromise. It is a path forward. Top Senate negotiators say their 80-page Bipartisan Safer Communities Act will curb gun violence. A gun safety bill that can be described with three words, common sense, bipartisan, life-saving. Democrats and Republicans praise the bill. I think it's a significant step in the right direction. The bill includes millions of dollars for school safety, mental health, crisis intervention programs, and incentives for states to include juvenile records in the national background check system. And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the bill protects the Second Amendment. It does not so much as touch the rights of the overwhelming majority of American gun owners who are law-abiding citizens of sound mind. I hope it won't pass. I mean, I hope it'll fail. But Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley says he's not convinced. My big objection is the red flag law. I don't think that we ought to be paying states to develop programs to take away Second Amendment rights from people who have not been charged with a crime, who have not been adjudicated to have committed a crime, let alone convicted of a crime. In Washington, I'm Anna Warnicke. Anna, thanks. Also in Washington this week, more committee hearings investigating the attacks on the Capitol last January. The January 6th Select Committee holding additional hearings, making the case against former President Trump for his role in the events of that day. Jesse Tsunur has the latest. Top officials from two key battleground states, all Republicans, stressed they voted for Trump but refused to do anything illegal for him, even as they faced serious threats. The punishment for treason is death. Video showed supporters of former President Donald Trump making threats of violence following his claims of rigged 2020 election results. Wishing death upon me, um, telling me that, 
you know, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother. This pressure campaign on state and local election officials in key battleground states became the focus of Tuesday's January 6th committee hearing. I just want to find 11,780 votes. What I knew is that we didn't have any votes to find. Georgia's top election official, Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, responded to his now infamous call with Trump, telling the committee his office conducted 300 investigations into the state's election results and recounted its votes three times and still certified President Joe Biden's win. I knew that we had followed the law and we had followed the Constitution. Arizona's GOP House Speaker Rusty Bowers also explained how he pushed back against Trump's demands. I said, you're asking me to do something that's never been done in history. Trump's actions in Georgia are also the subject of a grand jury investigation, with the district attorney expected to announce findings later this year. While the committee cannot charge Trump with any crimes, Vice Chair Republican Liz Cheney made it clear there has to be accountability. Donald Trump did not care about the threats of violence. And over the weekend, Trump continued to attack the committee's work and falsely claim he won the 2020 election. In Washington, I'm Jesse Chenor. Jesse, thanks. You heard from Georgia's Secretary of State in that hearing this past week. Meantime, here in Indiana, we'll be electing a new Secretary of State this year after Indiana Republicans nominated Diego Morales at their convention last weekend instead of incumbent Secretary Holly Sullivan. So what does that mean for the party politically? What will it mean for the office moving forward? Once again, here's Kristen Escount. Delegates at the Indiana GOP convention nominating Diego Morales for Secretary of State over incumbent Holly Sullivan. Political analysts consider this a sign of the divisions in the Republican Party and a rebuke of Governor Eric Holcomb and so-called establishment candidates. The party has been changing, certainly in the state of Indiana, over the last decade. And you, you've seen that division and the, the conflict between those who are more conservative and maybe a little bit less conservative. Diego Morales immigrated to the U.S. from Guatemala when he was in high school and went on to serve in the National Guard before working in several state government roles. That includes his time as an aide to former Vice President Mike Pence while he was governor. The main reason for me running is simply to give back, uh, to contribute, and to show my debt of gratitude. But opponents have raised concerns about Morales' employment record. State documents show in 2009 he was fired from his job at the Secretary of State's office, where officials cited inefficient execution, lack of focus on strategy and planning, and lack of professionalism. Two years later, he resigned under a different Secretary of State after he was sent a performance improvement plan. Why should voters trust you to run that office now? You can ask all the delegates that I connected one-on-one -on -one with them. They saw my hard work. I'm the only candidate who has outworked everyone. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escal. All right, so it's a three-way race with Morales, Libertarian Jeff Maurer, and Democratic candidate Destiny Wells, who Kristen also spoke with this week to discuss election security and other big issues. I want to um, make sure that we at least keep the status quo of what we have right now. Why is a photo ID only from a public university accepted and not a private university? All right, coming up next, we'll talk with our panel about the special session at the State House next month and what we might see on the issue of abortion. And later, we'll hear what former Governor Mitch Daniels is saying about politics and his own political future. 
All right, welcome back. Time right now to bring in our panel with us today here in studio, former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy, and with us on Zoom, you Indy political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson, and Politico's Adam Wren, who's also the author of the Importantville newsletter on Indiana politics. The governor calling for this special session, Robin, on his proposal to return some money from the surplus to fight inflation. But now the big question also looms, what will lawmakers do when it comes to the issue of abortion? Well, I don't think that they'll miss the opportunity to do something if they're in special session. I mean, they've been adamant that they want to address the issue. But we're talking about a governor that's sitting on $6 billion that could make a big difference. The president's called for a federal tax holiday. Certainly it would make a big difference to Hoosiers to do that. Dan, we're no longer just talking about the price of gas. We're talking about the impact on jobs. I was in Wabash yesterday, and a woman told me she drives from Peru to Wabash every day to work. Now it's making an impact on her at $5 a gallon. So this isn't just fuel. This has become an economic development issue. Yeah. You, you've served in the legislature, Mike. Obviously, uh, you've been a part of some big special sessions in the past. This one could certainly be significant on a couple different levels. Sure. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of good ideas out there, and it gets much rougher when you start actually putting it on paper and figure out how you're going to implement it. And that's one of the problems with, you know, forgiving or suspending the, uh, the gas tax. It's been done before, as we've talked. But at some point, you have to go back. So the question becomes, how long do you suspend it for? Who do you suspend it for? State Representative Greg Porter, who I've not terribly agreed with much in my life, I think, has a good question. And that is, what about people who don't file income tax returns? Do they get a break on the gas? They may need it more than anybody. And so there's just so many details to work out that I think it's, it's too early to judge. And, of course, we'll see what happens uh, on the issue of abortion uh, in that special session potentially as well. Laura, another big issue this week in Washington, the Senate reaching that bipartisan deal on guns may not go as far as some had wanted to see, but nonetheless seeing any movement on, on this issue is noteworthy. It absolutely is. If this goes through the House, this would be radical, a major change that we haven't seen in decades. But I also have to add that even though it's bipartisan, it's not unanimous. If you think of Elise Stefanik, Steve Scalise, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the lead Republicans in the House have all said they announced on Wednesday that they would not support this measure. And the trick in terms of that balance, as you mentioned, is for some it doesn't go nearly far enough. For others, it's already going too far. That's the nature of compromise, but I think it's really challenging on a couple key issues. And of course, guns is one of those. Mike Braun in the Senate, for that matter, in terms of Republicans opposing. Adam, Senator Young did join that group of Republicans that supported moving the bill forward procedurally. He's kind of been in that situation before on other issues where he ultimately uh, changed his vote. He did join this group of 14 Republicans to advance the bill. That's right, Dan. We've seen him do something similar on infrastructure last summer. But in this case, uh, every indication that we have from him, he seems amenable to this. So we know that he's close to the leadership. We know he's close to Mitch McConnell, uh, and this in this case, Texas Senator John Cornyn. And so I would not be surprised at all uh, to see him break with some of the more conservative senators on this issue and actually move the bill forward. And we've seen Young and Braun split on a number of issues, of course, uh, in recent months. Uh, this coming, Robin, as a new law takes effect this coming week here in Indiana that essentially gets rid of the state system for gun permits. And that was against the advice of the state uh, police superintendent. So on 4th of July weekend, if you stop somebody on 37 or 69, that officer has no idea whether or not they have a permit for a gun or not. That puts our officers, their state police officers, that puts our FOP members at risk. They asked for this not to pass, yet the Republican General Assembly passed this law. 
Uh, let's change gears here and talk about the, the race for Secretary of State as well. Mike, your party nominating Diego Morales last weekend instead of sitting Secretary Holly Sullivan. We heard from Morales and his opponent earlier. What does this mean for the so-called fight against the establishment uh, when it comes to politics and everybody wanting to use that phrase? Now. Well, I, I get a kick out of another phrase being bounced around is country club Republicans. Well, you know, I'm a South Sider. I've never belonged to a country club and I've been a a lifetime Republican, so I'm not quite sure what that means. I tell you, I have never been so disappointed in childish campaigning by both candidates, frankly. Rather than talk about their plans and their vision for the Secretary of State's office, they trashed each other. They trashed their sitting governor of their own party. Um, I was glad that um, Kyle Huffer uh, asked for some, some civility but I tell you, if I were in his spot, I would have grabbed him both by the ear and banged their foreheads together mm -hmm. and said, cut this crap out about two weeks before the convention. How, how do you see this race playing out, Adam? This is absolutely now a winnable race for Democrats. You have uh, maybe the, the, the first Democratic candidate since Joe Donnelly, who really is in position to have statewide appeal um, and Destiny uh, Wells. You know, she is uh, campaigning uh, in all parts of the state, going to all 92 counties. And really, uh, on paper, even according to the far right conservative radio host, Tony Katz, has a great story to tell. Um, and so I think that, you know, Republicans finally overreached here uh, and the 1700 uh, far right delegates in this case have picked a candidate uh, who just doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, and, and so I, th I do think Democrats uh, have a chance here, but it's, it's just a chance. It has to be capitalized on. There has to be serious fundraising uh, for this to actually work. And of course, a, a libertarian in that race as well. We'll see if that plays a role here. Uh, Laura, we've talked about the importance of the, the role of the office of Secretary of State in these very divided times, especially in light of everything that we've been hearing coming out of these hearings on the events of January 6th. Oh, absolutely. And on Thursday, we learned, of course, that um, the president was trying to influence the Department of Justice. Typically, we think of that as a part of the bureaucracy should be a lot more neutral. And um, that's just coming out of those those hearings. But I think it reminds us of how political every office is, even those which we think of being more neutral or perhaps nonpartisan. And certainly nowadays, when we consider what the offices do, the roles that they play, the responsibilities that they have, um, we have to understand that they are going to make decisions that will be seen as political, whether or not they are, and they will most certainly have political implications. Robin, your thoughts on that and your takeaway from, the, from what we've seen in the hearings this week? Well, first off, the people that came to testify from Georgia had true profiles and courage. Um, you know, you cannot deny what Raffsenberger went through. Um, but, you know, I don't know how anyone can look at that, that video, Dan, and say those were visitors that were fun-loving people coming to tour the Capitol. I hope that voters will remember that this fall. Mike, your, your takeaway from what we've seen uh, so far in the committee hearings? Well, I, I think it's clear, um, and, and a lot of people don't like to use this word, but I think it was clearly an attempted coup. And um, I think that you know the, it's been proven, at least from what I can tell, that uh, the president was involved uh, up to his eyeballs in planning and trying to implement this and going beyond the law and beyond the Constitution to, uh, to get that done. Now, the question is, so what, what? Now, yeah. What's what's the impact? Will, will any DOJ prosecutor um, actually indict anybody? I don't know, but I think it's a great education for the for the people of the United States. And I think you know, with with Mo Brooks's loss this past uh, what just a few days ago, I think we're starting to chip away at the the Trump sycophants 
in, in Congress. And, and, you know, 2024 is a long time away. Yeah. We may see some big changes by then. A lot of talk about Mike Pence's role that day again in the hearings as well. All right, coming up next, we'll talk about another former Indiana governor, Mitch Daniels. What's in his future after leaving Purdue? And what's he saying now about the state of our politics? That's coming up next. We've been talking a lot lately about Mitch Daniels, the former governor retiring later this year from Purdue, leading to a lot of speculation about whether he may make another run for governor. He didn't say too much about that possibility in an interview with Fox News this past week, but did have a lot to say about the current state of our politics. Both parties very sharply divided. Both parties sometimes uh, dominated by their fringes or by their more extreme elements. You certainly see that on the Democratic side as well. Um, and um, there's some structural problems we're all aware of, uh, homogenous uh, congressional districts, for instance, which uh, militate against um, a, uh, a return to more pragmatic uh, compromise-based uh, uh, politics. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, optimism reigns eternal among some of us. He was somewhat coy, though, about a possible run for governor in 2024. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers coming up next. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Mike. There are two clear winners. First, life is a winner. Secondly, all the babies who will be born now and will have a chance to make a mark on their generations are also winners. Mike, I agree that I think the winners here are those who've been opponents of Roe versus Wade. I also think it's an incredible loss for those who have been fighting for women's rights and the right to an abortion. However anyone feels about this issue though, it's a historic moment for the generation. And politically, I think Vice President Mike Pence is a winner. He's someone who's campaigned on this issue for much of his political career and on Friday called for abortions to be banned in all states. Uh, practically, I think in addition to women, uh, gay Hoosiers who are married uh, to another partner are next in the target, uh, as we learned uh, from Clarence Thomas on Friday. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next weekend on In Focus.